Hey everybody, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast. I'm so excited to bring you today's conversation with author and CEO, Herbie Noel. He recently wrote the book, Image Bearers, Shifting from Pro-Birth to Pro-Life. Herbie gives us just this incredible dialogue about what it means to respect and love life in the Christian way. Also, we talk a lot about how the church can engage in pro-life discussion. I think you're going to love it. Um, This is bigger, just so you know, this is bigger than just um, being pro-birth. Like it's a much bigger way to look at respecting life. And, uh, you know, it's okay if you don't agree with everything that Herbie has to say in this conversation. I just want to invite you to lean in to some of that discomfort and uh, and reflect about where you stand on some of this stuff. So um, without any further ado, here's my conversation with Herbie Newell. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast. I'm so excited to have Herbie with us today. Herbie is an author and uh, an executive director for Lifeline Children's Services. He recently wrote the book, Image Bearers, Shifting from Pro-Birth to Pro-Life. Herbie, how are you, sir? Oh, Tony, I'm great. And what a, what a pleasure to join you and your listening audience and just to discuss this, such this important topic. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting that, you know, we're talking right now because um, your book is all about defining what pro-life really is for the church. And we're in a serious season right now with, with what's happening with the coronavirus and all the stuff and, um, you know, that, that a lot of things are being done in the name of pro-life. So, so let me ask you this, how, how do you define pro-life and how is that different than pro-birth and why is that important right now? Yeah, so really even in the, the reframing that discussion to say we want to be pro-life and not just pro-birth, the whole, the whole thing is, yes, we care for life in the womb. And yes, we want to advocate for the most vulnerable life, which is life in the womb, uh, which could be facing you know, an abortion. We want to advocate for that life. We want to advocate for laws against abortion. Uh, we, want to, we want to be absolutely pro-life when it comes to life in the womb. But we also want to be pro-life once that life uh, hits the air, once that life is breathing, and once that life is, is living outside of the womb. And, and, I, and I really believe we back up our pro-birth stance by our pro-life stance in, mm. the, in the way that a, as we are showing that we care for all life, it, it just makes it so much more palatable when we say we, we don't believe that abortion uh, should be allowed. And so even as you asked, in this coronavirus world that we're living in right now, I think the encouraging thing that I've seen, Tony, even is that secular America and our secular world is placing such a value on life uh, and a value on life that we, we really didn't even have. Um, you know, I think of even in the Scandinavian countries, which have led the world in euthanasia and euthanasia laws and radical euthanasia. Uh, you know, even Denmark and Sweden had laws as, as, as recent as last year on the, that they were debating over about forced euthanasia at a certain age for their citizens. Yet we saw just last week that Denmark asked their country to cease and desist being around the older population because they didn't want to infect them with a coronavirus that would attribute to their untimely death. So you see that in times of, of absolute panic, in times of, of a world pandemic, really our value of life starts to come to the forefront. Um, when we are in a crisis, when we are forced uh, at, at the wit's end, it really shows that God has made us, he has knit us together, and that even in the way we react to this shows that we do value life. And I, 
I, I know it sounds weird, but through this pandemic and through this crisis, I am encouraged yeah. to see that the sanctity of life is coming to the forefront and the top of all of these issues. I love that. And, and so you currently work as the executive director of Lifeline Children's Services, which covers a myriad of, of different ministries. You've written this book. How did, do you feel like that this is something that God placed on your heart or is this, how does one become um, ultra passionate about being pro-life? Yeah, it's funny. Even in the book, I talk about that being pro-life means that we encourage godly men, godly men that are leading in this discussion, godly men that aren't waiting for their uh, wife to be the first one to act, that aren't trying to follow the lead just of their wife, but are leading even their families and their communities and their churches and their businesses and being pro-life. And the funny thing is it was my wife that led out in our own story, uh, which is where part of that conviction comes, but but also part of the beauty of, of how I got engaged and have really spent the last 17 years of my life in this pro-life ministry. And it all started, I, I was an accountant, I had a very successful uh, career, and my wife was a assistant director at a crisis pregnancy center. Uh, we would come home to dinner, this was pre-kids, and we're sitting around the dinner table. Yeah, back and, when you could actually talk around the dinner table. <laughs> yeah, without being interrupted and without, you know, 15 questions about what does that mean? What are you right. talking about? Yeah, so we, and our, our, our posture is we talk about each other's day, uh, and then we pray for each other and, and kind of the things. Oh, would you that do that before the meal that. or during the meal or? Yeah, during the meal. So we, you yeah. know, we, we bless the food and we start talking about each other's days and oh, things good. would come up, you know, we'd pray for each other. I was working at a, a pretty secular firm and I had opportunities to share the gospel with my coworkers. And so we'd pray for my coworkers. But I tell you, when we really were engaged was when it was her time to share. Yeah. And she would bring these stories of women who had come into their crisis pregnancy center, women who were considering abortion. And, and I, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. There's this conflict of belief even that was going on because we saw these women that weren't just thinking about abortion for convenience sake, but were in dire situations. Women that had been, you know, molested, women that had been abused, uh, women that were in truly horrendous situations, women that were, were homeless and living from place to place. And, and that, I think, is really where this idea really germinated was, yes, 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 I believe that this woman should not have an abortion. Yes, 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 I believe that that baby inside of her womb is completely, uh, completely made mm. and formed in the image of God and worthy of having life. However, how pro-life am I really being oh, if yeah. we go tell that woman, hey, you need to give birth to this child, and then we tuck tail and run and never see her again? And that's what started plaguing us around the dinner table. We started praying for those women and we started asking ourselves, how do we get more actively engaged? We started getting our church engaged for several of these women, our small group, our community, and really started to try as a family to wrap around these women. And, and that just, it, it, it ignited this passion in me. It ignited this passion in my wife. And it was, hey, you know what? Just saying that abortion is wrong and that God wants us to give life, it's good but it can't stop there. And when it does stop there, it's incompletely pro-life. Yeah. So uh, maybe um, this is a good time to ask if you could give us a little bit of scope and you kind of outlined it in the book a little bit. Each, each chapter feels like a different uh, opportunity to look at pro-life, but for somebody who, who maybe hasn't read the book yet or hasn't thought about this, what does, what does pro-life look like in its entirety, not just being pro-birth? Yeah. And so in a sense, while each of the chapters can kind of stand alone, 
it is a treatise that really leads us to what does pro-life look like. And so, you know, just starting with, you know, why life is sacred and mm-hmm. you know, just where's that foundational truth on why do we believe life is sacred? Why do we fight for life? Why do we, why are we the sanctity of human life crusaders as believers? Where, where does that come from? Um, why is that there? And then really just tackling abortion and talking about why abortion is such an affront to God, why it's such an important issue. Um, you know, if, if there's been any criticism that uh, that I've received at all from the book, it was like, well, I, we feel like you're not being strong against abortion. We feel like you're being strong on all these other justice life issues, but not strong enough about abortion. There's three full chapters that really talk about abortion and why abortion is an atrocity and why we have to be engaged and why we have to be doing something. But then the rest of the book is saying, well, this is also what it looks like to be pro-life. There's a strong statement to men that as we believe in our quiet places where no one else is looking, that we can get on a phone or a device and look up pornographic images or images that are robbing our soul. We're not just robbing our own soul and we're not just uh, we're not just being sinful before a holy God, but we're robbing the soul of our family and we're robbing the dignity of women. Um, and, and one of the, the things that, that is, is really hard there is a pro-life issue is being against human trafficking. And being against human trafficking isn't just speaking up against human trafficking. It's not just about helping that woman who's been the victim of human trafficking. It's about, hey, men, get off your stinking smartphones and stop looking at pornographic images because that fuels, that is one of the number yeah. one things that fuels the human trafficking industry. Every time you make a click on an image, you are economically creating a demand for human trafficking. And if, 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 if godly men would start to think that way and stop getting into this idea that, hey, in the private places where no one else will ever know, I'm doing something that's just between myself. No, first of all, we have a holy God that's looking, but it is fueling a demand for human trafficking. You know, then it's, it's really talking about strong marriages and strong families, and that's right. pro-life, and that we need to have strong marriages. We need to have strong families. We need to have families where uh, that families are coming together around the dinner table. Yeah, our dinner table looks a lot different today. We have a 10-year-old, a 13-year-old, and a 15-year-old. And you know, anytime we even try to have a semi-serious conversation, you know, the kids ears perk up and they want to know everything that's going on and you get the questions and it's a lot different around our dinner table, but we've, we've changed our dinner table that we want our kids sharing their, the, the issues that are going on with them. We want them to know that we will hear them and we will listen to them. We want them to know that our home is a safe place and that the family is a safe place. And it's our, it's our place for, for the way we're going to flourish as a family. And that's pro-life, right? Because yeah. my, my girls, my girls get an identity from my wife and from me that's completely different, right? They need their mom's strong guidance. They need their mom to teach them what it looks like to be a lady, to be a woman of purity and a woman of virtue. But they need their daddy to look at them and say, you know, Adeline and Emily, that's my daughter's name. You're beautiful on the inside and out. And I love you because of who you are and who God created you to be. And they need to hear me say that every day. They need to hear me say that all the time. The other thing is we need to we need to really enjoy our families and enjoy our children. You know, even in this time of age, of course, when I wrote it, I didn't know coronavirus was going to come, but we got right. kids at home right now and not in school. Um, and it's saddened to me that there are families that are like, what am I going to do with my kids? Right. We need to play with our kids. We need to have fun with our kids. You know, we need to teach our kids. We need to instruct our kids. We need to discipline with our kids. We need to be present with our kids. And what, what a great opportunity right now to, to show that we're how pro-life we are by the way our families are reacting to this stay in place and, and this a lot more family time. I tell a, a story in the book that a lot of folks have seen, and, and it is true, but my 10-year-old one day last year, so she was nine, 
uh, decided that her brother and her sister and I were all her dogs. And so we were playing like we were dogs around the house and it was all fun. And I mean, we're having a good time and Emily has a creative, just a, such a creative imagination. Of course, it was all fun and games until she told us that we were going to go on a walk. And <laughs> so she took us outside and, you know, we, we just continued to pray. Now I was not walking on all fours, but she had a makeshift leash that was behind around my neck and her brother and sister's neck. And we just moved into our neighborhood. And I'm sure our neighbors think that we are absolute nuts because we uh, had people going by us and looking at us. But, you know, I think the point that I wanted to make is I wasn't embarrassed at that moment because I was, I was loving on my children. I was playing with my children. I was being available for my children. And I think as parents, we need to stop being so embarrassed by our children. And we need to love our children because we are sowing in them the way a father loves the children and, mm. and and you know that's not just the way a daddy does it but it's also the way a mom does it because in genesis 1 god said i put a little bit of my image in a man i put a little bit of my image in a woman and together they give a complete picture of the image and the character of god and so moms and daddies need to be present with our kids to show the image of god and that's pro-life uh also pro-life is 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 truly speaking out against human trafficking it's about adoption it's about caring for vulnerable children it's about seeing reconciliation of vulnerable families in our country we have almost half a million kids that are in foster care one of the sad realities of coronavirus is because you do have kids that are in school you're going to see a lot more abuse you're going to see a lot more neglect and unfortunately we may have to see a lot more investigation as a church we need to be standing there waiting to take these kids into our homes and we also need to be ready to stand there for these biological families to help them to support them and and ultimately to help reunify these families and right now when we're seeing layoffs across our country uh because businesses are suffering you, know, you see more poverty you see more opportunity that we're going to see kids that are neglected and we're going to see kids that are abandoned and it's pro-life as the church for us to wrap around those families and to help them and not to not to just victimize the children and hate on the families but to victimize the situation and to realize that our god has compassion for both the perpetrator as well as the victim when it comes to our foster care crisis in our country it's looking around the world and it's caring for orphans and their distress and it's, it's looking for ways that we can teach orphans and, and equip the global church to care for orphans and their distress it's the way we care for the elderly in our community that's 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 distinctively pro-life it's, yeah. it's understanding that that 85 year old that might be in a nursing home is just as valuable to us today um as they were when they were of working age and it, it's valuing all life and and ultimately tony i just i'll, I'll, I'll summarize it there and there's so many more topics in the book including identity and the lgbtq agenda uh, but really pro-life is this it's realizing that god created life he's the author the sustainer of life he gets to set the beginning and he gets to set the end and we are all just a part of that beautiful story of redemption that he's telling in the making of creation and we do our part to share the gospel, we do our part to to show that we truly believe that God created life, sustains life, and He is the one that will end life uh, in His sovereign will. That's really good, man. I'm I'm ready to take up an offering. Let's go. Come on. <laughs> no, but I, I love your passion for it, and and it's evident in the way you talk about it. Um, but I'll be honest, right? I hear you say all that, and I'm thinking like oh my gosh, I'm failing as a dad in so many ways because that just feels so big. So, so let me ask you this on behalf of the guy or the girl that's you know, running on the treadmill or walking with their family or whatever and they're listening to this podcast, what does it look like to stay connected to the source of pro-life in a way that isn't, that isn't shameful or disheartening or feel impossible? Because I, I hear you talk about those things and I love and respect 
the position that you're in. But I'm also like, oh man, I, I haven't done anything for orphans. I haven't really done much for, you know, a lot of people. I'm, I'm, I don't know. Like there's an immediate sense that feels like, oof, I'm not doing enough. Mm. How, how do we, how do we bridge that gap to get to a, to a place where we're eating the elephant one bite at a time? Yeah. So here's an analogy I'll give, right? When you, which we're not going to a lot of restaurants right now with coronavirus, but when we get to go to restaurants again, right? What do they put before you? They put before you a menu, right? Mm. And you may be hungry um, and you may need to fill that belly and you may look at things and you may look at that menu and go, whoa, there are a lot of things I could order. But there's going to come a time that you can order one thing, right? Unless you're a glutton, right? Because you can only eat one thing. Sure. And I think you, you hear all these pro-life initiatives. And what I would want to tell the, the woman on the treadmill, the dad at home, they go, man, I'm failing, is this. We can do one thing. We got to start at one place. Just like when you go to a, a restaurant, you don't try to order three items off the menu. You start somewhere, right? Now, you may go again and, and try something else. We got to start somewhere. And I know it's trite, but it is so true. The first place I believe we need to start is in prayer. We need to not just pray individually. We need to pray with our children. We need to pray with our families. We need to pray for our, with our small groups. We need to pray with our churches. It all needs to start with prayer. You know, another, another example that I would give is even as we start to, 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 to pray, think about it. You know, my kids today, I have, we have, they have three living grandparents. Uh, my wife is one of six, so she's got, you know, four sisters and a, and a brother. We've oh, got aunts. We've got, oh, yeah. We got aunts and we got uncles and we got grandparents that are praying for our children, not to mention my wife and I, right? And, and they're praying for them. They're, 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 they're interceding for our family and for, for their aunts, their, their grandchildren. They're the vulnerable around the world. The woman is going through human trafficking. Uh, the woman who's in the midst of considering an abortion. The orphan that's around the world. The child in foster care. The family that just lost their job and doesn't know how they're going to uh, help their child. We need to pray for them. We need to intercede for them. And I think that's just one of the places that we, we have to start. And, and I know it's trite, but it's so true. If we really believe that our God is the maker, creator, and sustainer of life, then wouldn't we go to him on behalf of the most vulnerable? And so I think praying, you know, but we need to, we need to not just, again, pray in the secret. We need to pray with our families. We need to pray with our communities. And we need to make it a part of how we pray. Now, here's the warning. When you start praying, uh, be expectant that God's going to put opportunities uh, in your way. Man, that's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> and, and be ready, be ready for that, but also know, know your bandwidth, right? Yeah. And, and know what you can do. And not everybody can do everything. Yeah, because um, it's not really pro-life. It's not really pro-life if you give up on your family in the midst of trying to save someone else's family. That's right. Well, you know, even, even what God convicted me of personally, Tony, is, you know, I was thinking last week, uh, you know, we're talking about the elderly are the most susceptible to coronavirus, and we're talking about helping the elderly. And I mean, I, I start thinking of of all of these people I know, and then the Lord just hit me by a two by four as I was praying one morning, and I realized I have an 88 year old widower that lives right next door to me, and I have not yet one time checked on him, oh, wow. not one time. You know, so through praying for the elderly, for those around, the Lord goes, "Hey, buddy." You got a guy right next door that you could reach out to. So we, I did. I did. I reached out instantly to this guy to find out what could we do. And, and I found out his kids were taking care of him and he was good. But man, that, that poured water on his soul, even for me just to check out. And so just we got to pray and, and know that God's going to bring things to our hearts. He's going to bring things to our attention that we can do. And I would just encourage, again, that woman on the treadmill, that, that dad that feels like he's failing, do something simple. 
Do something that anyone can do. Do something that you have access to do that while you're on the treadmill, start praying to the Lord and say, God, I, I want to pray for women that are, are in, in vulnerable situations. I want to pray for vulnerable families. I want to ask you to simply show me some things that I can do. And again, I'd say kind of a second step is get to know your neighbors. You know, getting to know your neighbors is one of the most pro-life acts that we can do. And I would hate to think that my neighbors would know, hey, that's the guy that leads this pro-life ministry. That's the guy that we see his family take, we see him taking his family to church every week. And yet he doesn't even know who we are. Right. And I think it's pro-life by showing the dignity to our neighbors to know who they are, to reach into them and get to know them. One of the, the things that I was researching the book, one of the most sad things that I learned was all of these masks killings that we've seen, unfortunately, over the last several years in our country and around the world, they all had one similar issue. When they would go back to where these people were living, their apartments, their homes, their neighbors didn't know them. They were unknown. They didn't even know who they were. We need to, we need to reach out as God's people and just start getting to know our neighbors. And so I would just encourage the listeners, right, before you try to go do something absolutely revolutionary, like add a child in your home through adoption or, you know, become a foster parent or become a crusader that is going into dark places to rescue human trafficking victims, you know, or, or even going and being a dog around your neighborhood with your kids, just start praying and praying with your kids. So let me ask you this, just practically speaking, I, I've got three kids, you got a handful of kids, we're both uh, busy guys running organizations. H- how do you, um, you know, how do you make time, squeeze time in? Do your kids play sports? They do, yeah. They do, right. So, you know, you're you're living the sport life. How, how do we, in the world, maybe the post-coronavirus world when we're back to normal, right? Like, <laughs> how, how do we... How do we make time for things, the, the one simple thing that we can do? How do, how do we make that part of our daily disciplines? Yeah, you know, and I think if you even look at the Great Commission, Tony, what I would say is if you read those words, the Great Commission, Jesus wasn't even telling his disciples, hey, guys, and, and that point, hey, get on a boat or go on a long journey, go somewhere that you've never gone before. It was as, as you go, make disciples, mm-hmm. um, as you go. and so. Everybody's in a different season of life. Uh, right now, for you and I, we're in the midst of raising these kids, and they have activities. And so, you know, my son loves basketball. And as we were playing basketball, you know, as I would drive him to practice, he's 15, so he can't drive himself. We talk about ways that he could show dignity to his teammates, that he could be a good sport, that he could uh, show the gospel and, and preach the gospel uh, to his teammates, ways that he could care. He had one kid on his team. It was a community team. And quite honestly, uh, he wasn't very good and he didn't get a lot of playing time and the other teammates weren't all that kind to him. And so I told my son, Caleb, Hey, whenever you're on the bench, go sit next to him, love on him, care for him, get to know him, know who he is. And he, I watched him do that. And that's pro-life, right? Because what we ended up learning is this kid that was sitting on the bench next to uh, my son, um, he, he had, he was hard of hearing. Uh, he had been bullied in school. Um, and, and right there, that's, dignity and that's pro-life and so as a dad I might not have even been the conduit of showing love to this boy on the bench but I was uh the one that encouraged my son that counseled my son that that that, that used my son mm. these opportunities that we have along the way to talk to our kids at meals in the car uh on places and and, and again it's learning to do the simple things right I think if we can master the simple things then the complex things we, we, we begin to begin to become, I don't want to say easier, but they become a lot more accessible, right? But let's, let's first start mastering just the simple things 
along the way, talking to our kids, encouraging our kids. You know, look for look for creative opportunities to bring the gospel up and to bring the sanctity of human life. And right now, we don't even have to be creative, right? The coronavirus is a perfect opportunity. And parents, I would just tell us, because that's what Ashley and I, my wife and I have realized, our kids are fearful about the coronavirus, right? As we have the news on almost 24-7 yeah. now, they're fearful. And, and, and even though they, they don't act like it, they don't always say it, they're fearful and they don't know what this means. It's a great time for us to talk about the sovereignty of God, the goodness of mm. God, and the sanctity of life. I love that. I love that. I, I heard somewhere said for every, uh, for every minute of news we watch, we should commit an equal amount of time to prayer. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm like, well, I better turn the news off because <laughs> it's just so easy to get sucked in. Um, do, do, you, do you think that, because um, what I'm really hearing is that being pro-life is more than just um, being kind, right? It's, it's actually advocating. What's the difference? Because I, I think as you give some of these examples, it's easy to think that it's kindness, but there's a nuance here that is about advocating. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. And again, I think, I think that, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's very kind, uh, right. To, to, to help a woman during her pregnancy. Um, it's advocating for a woman to be there on the other end of the postpartum ward with open arms and saying, how can I help you now? Mm. Um, it's, 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 it's moving from just being, you know, sanitate sanitized people that live very boring lives, uh, that the world looks at and says, well, you know, they, uh, those are the people that go to church on Sundays and they live really kind lives. And, you know, we, we don't want to just be the neighbor that someone says, Hey, that's a great person to go b- borrow a tool from because you can borrow it and never give it back. Cause they're, they're not going to come and press you for it. Right. That's, that, that, kindness is great. Right. Uh, having, having the, the reputation that someone knows that, Hey, they're going to be nice to me, but that's good. But I think we need to be aggressively good and aggressively mm. good means advocating in places uh, where people are vulnerable. It means, uh, being available uh, that, that might be an inconvenience, right? It, 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 it's willing to be inconvenienced for someone else. And, and that's really, you know, what the gospel is all about. And if we're going to model our lives around Christ, right? He was willing to be inconvenienced for others. He was willing to be inconvenienced and to have his, his schedule stop. Um, and, you know, even the disciples didn't always understand it. They wanted to push him on. You know, I, I think of the trite but true example of when, you know, the, the parents were wanting to bring their children to Jesus and the disciples saw that as an inconvenience, like don't right. bother him. He needs to be talking to the adults. He's got much more important things to say. And, and Jesus looks at him and says, Hey, let the little children come to me. And there's so many more examples about how Jesus is willing to be inconvenienced. And, um, and, and we just need to be, we need to be kind, but we need to be willing to be a little bit inconvenienced. And I think right now, again, I don't want to keep going back to the coronavirus, but it's what we're living through what better time to even realize that some of those things that we thought we needed, some of those things that we thought yeah. weren't luxuries, that they're actually now luxuries, right? Um, you know, we're going we're gonna to find over the next, you know, several months that the things that we thought we couldn't live without, we can live without pretty easily. Um, and I think that's where we start to have open hearts and open hands. So I hope even the coronavirus will refine the church to help us realize we have a lot more time, we have a lot more space, we have a lot more assets that we can be inconvenienced for the dignity and the sanctity of life. And by showing the gospel to our neighbors, by showing the gospel to our communities and ultimately by taking the gospel to the world. And taking the gospel to the world is, is a big part of what you're doing at Lifeline. 
Um, tell, tell everybody a little bit about what Lifeline is because it's, it's, it feels like a ginormous operation you guys are running there. Uh, what do you guys do? Yeah. And at times it feels like a ginormous operation. <laughs> uh, and, and it's all just kind of trying to make it simple. You know, our, our mission statement is, is that we want to equip the body of Christ and that's churches, but that's also individual members uh, to manifest the glorious gospel to orphans and vulnerable children and vulnerable families. And so mm-hmm. uh, now certainly that doesn't just mean this big tent umbrella that we're going to do everything under the sun because we could, but very strategically and very simple, it's about helping equip the church with practical means, educational means um, to really get their people and to get their churches equipped and engaged to help vulnerable children, orphans, and vulnerable families. So that's families that are at risk of losing their children or have already lost their children. That's helping orphans around the world who do not have the support of a family, uh, vulnerable children who are living on the street that may have a mom and a dad that are living, but they may not be living with them or they may not have um, the, the faculties to take care of them. But that's also then um, caring for foster children here in our country who have been, uh, who, who have been, taken away from their families because of untenable situations. And it's, it's caring for them and showing the gospel to them. That's always a manifest the gospel. It's, it's, it's showing the gospel in words. It's showing it in action. It's showing it in deed. And it's showing it in the way that we wrap around them. And so Lifeline wants to equip families, yes, to adopt, to adopt vulnerable children that are available for adoption, both domestic and internationally. It means wrapping around women. They're going through crisis pregnancies uh, locally and internationally. Uh, by giving them the tools that they need to be successful parents, or if they need the place for adoption, to giving them those options. Uh, it's caring for foster families. Uh, it's wrapping around families that have lost their children to the foster care system. One of the most, the things I'm the most proud about over the last year is that we saw over 150 families reconciled, which means wow. their kids came back out of foster care into their Come biological on. families. And, and we did that and saw that happen all through local churches. So it's local churches in Ohio, it's local churches in Alabama, it's local churches even in Michigan and Wisconsin, uh, in, in about 16 different states that were able to minister to uh, these families through a program that we have called Families Count. It's a six-week mentoring and training curriculum. They come to the church. They're state-mandated to come to the church. Wow. Uh, the church does this state-mandated course, shares the gospel, shares a meal, and then mentors these families. Uh, helping them get their children back. So it's, it's family reunification and it's global compassion through orphan care. And when we think about orphan care, we're thinking about life skills and job skills for kids to help them get out of orphanages, to help them get off the streets and to help them uh, become productive citizens that can thrive and survive in this world. Now, one of the things that's interesting uh, about your position is you're, you're the leader of, the, of this organization and you've got uh, you mentioned it earlier, over 150 employees. Um, this is heavy stuff. And, and I think it's, it's worth asking the question, uh, how, how, do we, how do we deal with the heaviness of things like this, but also just, I mean, like adoption and pro-life and when we aren't successful and being aggressively good. And like, how, how, do you, how, do your, how does your team not lose their mind in, in it all, or, or, or maybe even more importantly, not lose their heart? Yeah, well, that's a great question. And it's a, certainly something that I wish I could say I have a, a silver bullet and anyone could take this and say, hey, this is the way you do it. 
Um, and, and we ebb and flow and, and not, you know, just transparently, Tony, I, I ebb and flow on that. Right. I mean, there's, yeah. there are times and days that are harder. Um, you know, even right now as a leader of an organization, and not just 160 employees, but those 160 employees represent 160 families. Um, you know, it's a hard making decisions in a coronavirus shutdown world. What does that look like? How do I, how do I best take care of my families? And, um, and how do we, how do we still, while taking care of our staff and taking care of those responsible for, how do we still take care of these vulnerable who are just becoming more vulnerable because of these pandemics? You know, I, I think first and foremost, uh, you know, we just, we have to trust in a God that's sovereign. Mm. Um, and, and we have to know that he's in control, even when it doesn't look like he's in control. And I think we've got to practice and rehearse the gospel to ourselves daily, right? And, and we have to, we, we can easily look around at suffering and pain around the world. And even as God's children, right, uh, we can nestle up into his lap, look him in the face and say, why? I don't understand. Why? And we had to rehearse the gospel to ourselves that um, our God is loving, he is kind, and actually his mercy and the reason that we're still living, that we're still breathing, um, that he's still allowing us the opportunity to, to have grace. That, that there still is a day of repentance that we're living in, that's God's mercy and that's God's grace. And so we got to rehearse the gospel to ourselves. You know, I, I know it, it may sound irreverent, but one of the things we lead our people in all the time is laughter. Yeah. Um, it is not taking, not taking the things that aren't seriously too seriously, um, not taking ourselves too seriously, uh, being willing to, to laugh at, at one another. Um, you know, I, I was sharing even with my staff, uh, one day last week uh, about we get together for prayer every morning over zoom. So we were using zoom before zoom was popular. Uh, <laughs> and we, we get together and we pray together all 161 staff members. And wow. uh, now that none of nobody's at an office, it's a, it's a little bit more difficult because you got all 160 on there. Uh, you know, but one of the things that I was just encouraging our staff is, is talking about how, how mind numbing it was for me personally to have to work from home. Like, that I, my, my skin was crawling, just 24 hour lockdown for myself on the first day of it. And that I was exploring new parts of my neighborhood while talking on the phone because I just, I was, my skin was crawling and, and just laughing over that and laughing yeah. about how some of us are going to struggle with certain things. So I think in the face, it's, 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 it's laughing where we can laugh and laughing where it's appropriate, finding joy in the mundane. Um, and, 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 and again, not getting, not taking ourselves too seriously. When you're dealing with serious stuff, right? Where kids are being hurt, where kids are dying, um, where women have been abused, where families are broken. That's tough. That's hard. That's weighty. And we've got to have the moments of, of laughter. We've got to have the moments of joy to detox from that um, and, to, and to not take things so seriously. I think the other thing that we really encourage our people to do is to be transparent with our hurt, with our fear, with our pain. Um, and so that we can each enter into other people's pain. And, and like the body of Christ ebbs and flows, and we see it through our churches, when one member suffers, another one isn't. And we can comfort one another in our suffering. And so we look at Second Corinthians 1 a lot, right? That uh, God has allowed us to be comforted by Jesus in mm. our pain and our suffering. So that in our turn, when someone else is in that pain and suffering, we can go and, 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 and love on them. And so a real story, I've got a, a birth mother counselor who's caring for a woman in this coronavirus uh, world and had to take her to Homeland Security because we realized that she has been trafficked multiple times um, and we're trying to rescue her from this trafficking. And so in the midst of shutdowns, in the midst of, you know, social distancing, she had to go take her client to Homeland Security for her protection. 
Um, and, and this birth mother counselor, her name's Lauren. I mean, she was, she was down. It, she, she had to hear this testimony of this woman and what had been, what had happened to her, Oof. how she'd been captured into that. And it was so amazing to see this body here wrap around her love on her. And literally within 15 minutes, they were laughing together. They were having joy together, not at the situation, right? right um, of course, but, at the, yeah. but, but, but at the joy of being together and being in community and all of that was happening over a zoom call. Uh, and so I, I think there's just ways that we enter into one another's pain. We, we, we remind each other of the gospel. Uh, we look back at the joy that comes from the gospel. And, and we, we take the things that don't have to be so serious. We don't take them seriously. And we find those moments to laugh. And so we laugh together a lot uh, as a team. And, uh, and I say even on a personal and micro level, our family tries to make sure that we laugh together. Uh, as much as we possibly can. And, and God has been gracious to our family because we have Emily who's 10 and she is a laugh a minute. And so she <laughs> when, uh, she's the dog when walker. She's, yeah, the, she's, yeah. she's the one that, that walks us on the leashes, right? Right. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love that. I love that. That's, you know, and that's actually probably just really good wisdom for where we are in the world right now is to take some time to make sure that you laugh and, and, uh, and hold things. Uh, you know, sacredly, but also with an open hand uh, is what I really hear you saying is like, it, uh, you know, this is important, life-changing, life-altering stuff. But it, at the same time, you, you know, God, God brought it into your life um, and, and God will take care of it. And, and I, think, I think you said that beautifully when you talk about the sovereign nature of God. So it's, that's really powerful. And, you know, you look at Jesus too, and you realize that, uh, and, and I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, equate myself to some type Christ-like characteristics. Um, and this funny thing, but I love nicknames, and I have nicknames for the people that I'm the closest to. A lot of our staff. I've oh, let's hear nicknames. one. Come on, nickname you know, that one. Yeah. Uh, well, okay. So we've got our international director's Big Daddy, and that's okay. a long, long story, but that's his nickname. Um, you know, we've got others. Uh, our one of our marketing team members is Bumper because she literally in a one-month period. Uh, we ran her bumper, her car bumper into something three times. So we Oof. call her bumper now from then on out. <laughs> but, but you know, there was a Do you have in that. Name? Uh, my name is Herbert Moses Newell the fourth. That really goes without saying. I have a lot of nicknames. <laughs> uh, you know. <laughs> Herbert you Moses say? Newell yeah. the fourth. Yeah. You know, uh, people have asked me if when I was a child and I got in the bathtub, if the water split. And I mean, I get it all. Uh, <laughs> And then if I thought, hey, you know, Herbert Moses Newell is good, I got the fourth. So, uh, which, hey, I love it. I love it. Wait, did, I love wait, did you, do you have a fifth? We don't, but my son is Caleb Herbert, so we kept the Herbert. Okay, Herbert. all right. All right. Yeah. But, uh, you know, one of the things that we see Jesus do through his word is he nicks, he, nicks, he gives a lot of nicknames, right? Sure. Um, and you gotta, yeah, they were purposeful, and yeah, they made a point. Uh, but you also have to understand that, that there was this jovial relationship. There's this kinship. There's this friendship. Yeah. Um, I, I, I know it's, and I'm not trying to be extra biblical, but you've got to imagine that living with these 12 men going from town to town, there was laughter, uh, right? There, there, was, there was times of, of just pure delight and pure fun. Um, and I think, again, I think as God's people, we've got to realize it's not sinful to delight in being together. And to have joy and to have fun with one another, um, it's actually it's 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 a balm to our soul and it's it's salves to our joints to to love on one another. And so I think even 
you know, in this time, one of the things I would encourage people to do as you're, as you're even, you know, loving on and caring for the vulnerable during coronavirus is make sure that you're joining with your community, even if it's virtually, because it's so important to, to, to be together, to enjoy one another, uh, and, and to just have that balm for our soul of the joy of community. That's good, man. That's really good. Lots of good stuff here. I, uh, just appreciate everything that you're doing for, for life. Really. I mean, it's, it, it sounds kind of weird to say, but that's, that's it being pro-life. Uh, if my listeners want to follow up with you or, um, where to get a copy of the book image bearers shifting from pro birth to pro-life, where's the, where's the best place to find you on the interwebs? Yeah. So really uh, I'd love for folks just to connect with lifeline. And so that's the ministry that I run it's lifeline children's services. You can find it on the web at lifelinechild.org and then any social media site. Our handle is the same. It's Lifeline Child. So if you look for Lifeline Child on Facebook, Lifeline Child on Instagram, Lifeline Child on Twitter, and I'm sure there are others that I don't yet know about, but I know that our team knows about. We're on there in some way that you can connect with us. So uh, you can connect anytime with Lifeline Child on social media or lifelinechild.org. If you want to get a copy of the book, uh, the best places to go is to Amazon. Uh, I'm not promising that they're going to ship it to you as fast as they were a month ago, but, <laughs> right. but uh, I'm sure they'll get it to you. I'm and if sure you need something to read while you're stuck at home, uh, you can order that off Amazon uh, or go to imagebearersbook.com. And that's with an S, imagebearers with an S.com. Okay, good. We'll link to all that in the show notes. Uh, okay, so final question. One of, the, one of the things I always love to ask people is um, – is to give yourself a piece of advice, except I, what I'd like to do is I'd like to drop you back in your own story. So let's go back to the very first uh, night you felt that conviction to go after you're sitting around the dinner table with your wife. This is pre kids. If you could go back and talk to Herbie at that moment in your life, what's the one piece of advice that you would give yourself? So I'm going to boil it down to one. Um, and again, be very introspective and very transparent. Uh, I would look to myself and I would tell myself, fight pride. Mm. Um, fight it tooth and nail every single day. Um, and, uh, you know, the word says pride cometh before fall. And the times that, that I have seen even the hardest uh, times in ministry, I think where I have struggled the most with pride is not being vulnerable. Yeah. And not being vulnerable at the right times, and believing that uh, the world was on my shoulders, and that I had to, I had to, I had to, to, to face the battle. And I'll tell a quick story. You know, uh, in the early days, uh, the ministry was really struggling financially, and, and we've certainly had other times of financial struggle, like any ministry, any nonprofit, any church. Right. Uh, but it was the first time I had gone through it, and there was a particular donor who said he would give us, which at the time was a massive, massive gift, still is. Uh, $25,000, but he said, but you have to go through a crown Bible study before I'll give it to you. So I went through this crown Bible study in a church. And one of the first things that you had to do, and, and Tony, I tell you, I mean, we were, we were in desperate, desperate times. Like uh, we were looking at, uh, we had a very small staff at the time, but I was still looking at, do we have to lay people off? Do we have to let people go? Um, you know, are we going to survive as a ministry? Um, but the pride that crept into my soul was if I tell anyone how bad we're struggling and ask them to give or ask them to get engaged, Mm. then they're going to think I'm a failure. Um, and so it wasn't a type of pride that was all consuming that I thought I was the stuff. It was the type of pride that didn't want to admit that I didn't know what to do. 
that I was stuck and that I needed help. And again, my wife, who is, uh, is such a hero in our entire family and our whole story and is such a precious person to me. I love her to death. She's my best friend. I couldn't do this journey without her. But she actually, which is not her personality, she confronted me one night. We were on the way to Crown Bible Study. And if anybody's ever done a Crown Bible Study, one of the first things you have to do is give a personal prayer request. And this isn't like, hey, pray for my neighbor's dog or pray for my neighbor. This was, hey, this is something I'm struggling with. And uh, it was the second week or maybe the third week. We were on our way to the Crown Bible Study. And Ashley looked over at me while I'm driving. And she said, babe. And I said, yeah. She says, you going to stop lying this week and tell people what's really going on? Woo, coming in hot. <laughs> and so that night I I bore my soul mm. to these business owners who I thought had it all together uh to these men who I thought were the greatest leaders around the table uh to their wives who I thought uh, had it all together and basically just said I'm in a place where I don't know what to do uh maybe I'm not the leader that I thought I was maybe I don't have what it takes to get through this ministry and I bore my soul. And I'm, I'm telling you, Tony, it wasn't like, the hey, those guys are like, hey, we'd love to donate. Or, hey, we're going to get you out of this situation. It wasn't even like the hard thing stopped. But you know what happened was I saw the Lord work in ways that are inexplicable. Uh, I saw him take care of us in ways that are inexplicable. I saw him grow me in ways that I could mm-hmm. never imagine. And unfortunately, I wish I could say, hey, that night, that day, that period, I learned that lesson. <laughs> but it's a lesson that uh, that I, I continually oh. need to be taught. It's a it's a lesson that I need to continually remember. And so I would tell myself uh, over and over, and I'd even tell my future self, man, fight pride, fight pride, be vulnerable, be transparent, uh, and go to the Lord for help. Oh, that's beautiful. Herbie, that's... I think it's going to be applicable to a lot of the people listening, and I, I just really appreciate your honesty in that. And I think it's... Uh, I know it resonates with me. So thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast today and for the work that you're doing. And, um, you know, I, I just pray that God continues to bless your ministry and that, uh, that we really move Christians uh, to this pro-life stance where, where, as you said, and I love it, we're aggressively out there doing good. So. Amen. Well, thank you for the opportunity of being here and uh, just grateful for you and your ministry and this podcast. and been a privilege. Thank you guys so much for taking the opportunity to connect today with Herbie and his story. And my hope and my prayer is that in this conversation, we leaned into a little bit of empathy because I know that we live in a world that could really benefit from just taking the time to hear people's story. And whether or not you agree with Herbie and what he stands for, that's really kind of beside the point, right? The, the point is, is to, to lean in to the discomfort. Hey, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to listen today. Thank you for being a part of the Reclamation Podcast community. Thank you for all that you do to make this possible. Uh, as always, if you could rate and share the podcast with somebody who may never heard it before, uh, rate it wherever you listen to it. It always helps people find us. We appreciate you. And look forward to connecting with you real soon. Also, bonus episode dropping this week. To make sure you don't miss it, subscribe today.